The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 355. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get your Brian McClanahan book plate there if you've got one of my books and you want my autograph. Just buy one of those book plates. I'll send it out to you. I've got a new book out, of course, Southern Scribblings. Great book, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. Also go to mcclanahanacademy.com. That's the best way to support the show, mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. And, of course, you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I will have another course out this month. I'll have another one out in October. I've had two come out in the last month. So you've got a lot of great material there, a lot of great content, over 12 courses already. And, of course, that does help keep this podcast free of charge. So get your McClanahan Academy courses. It's a win-win. You get a great course, and you keep this podcast gratis. So if you want this thing continuing to be free, Please continue to do that and purchase courses at McClanahan Academy. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. T-shirts, most importantly, but also stickers, wall clocks, wall plates, all kinds of great things. I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff that you can buy at that link. So go on out and do that. Also, don't forget to rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Like it and share it around on social media. Do everything you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally. And that said, this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode. And uh, this is a listener-generated episode. Someone sent me a link to this. I wasn't aware of this news story, but it's a great story. And a great story in the line of people taking initiative themselves to go out and do something to make their world better in a local and small way. Now, you often heard I me mean, when I say think locally, act locally. For the don't, maybe you haven't listened to this podcast before. Maybe you haven't listened to me for a long time. But you've heard that phrase, think globally, act locally. Well, these people that have done what I'm going to talk about now aren't thinking globally. They're thinking locally. They're thinking about their own backyard, their own community, their own state. And they saw a problem in their mind and they wanted to correct that. Now, From the beginning, I'm going to tell you, these people are on the exact opposite end of the political spectrum as I am. But I think what they're doing is tremendous. It's a great thing because what they're doing is taking the initiative and going out and doing something for themselves to make their world better. I had someone email me the other day, said, look, I'm I'm living in this state. I'm not going to say where. I'm living in this state. You have all these people coming in from out of state. You You could say this in just about any state. And they're destroying the area because they're bringing in the other states' political culture to my state, and they're, a lot of them are retired, so they're getting on the city council, or they're going to the city council meeting. All the people that aren't retired that live here, they got to work, they can't do this stuff. How can I combat this? Well, you're going to have to organize. I mean, it's one thing you're going to have to do. We, we often think about, well, how can I do it? You've got to organize. If something is wrong in your community, you have to go out and do something about it. 
You can't just sit there and think, what am I going to do about it? You've got to actually get up and do something. And that's what I like about this story. The individuals involved in this project got up and did something about what they perceived to be a great problem in their own community. So I'm going to talk about it. It's called the Freedom Georgia Initiative. And this is a piece from Yahoo News. It's published on September 3rd. And uh, the title is Freedom Georgia, Black Families Buy 96-Acre Safe Haven. So if you take my secession class at McClanahan Academy, I actually talk about this post-Reconstruction. There was a man named Pap Singleton who decided that the South was not a hospitable place any longer. And so he led, led a number of people, it was called the Exodus Movement, into Kansas, where they started building communities. It was a, a type of secession. And essentially what's happening here is that these families, there's four families, had decided they're going to create, through individual secession, a safe haven for them. So I'm going to read the article. It says, quote, In the face of a pandemic that has hit black Americans harder than almost any other group, while the nation continues to confront the toxic legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, two Georgia women have come together to build a community that will be a place free of oppression. Quote, a tight-knit community of our people to just come and breathe. Now, insert any group you want here, and this is a type of individual secession. It is people taking the initiative to say, you know what, I don't like what's going on, let's try to do something about it. And this is interesting because it's a private initiative. Now, in other articles I've read on this, they're going to try to use, when they can, government money to do some things. But for the most part, this is people saying, look, we're going to pool our resources, we're going to create a private initiative to do something, we're going to open it, we're going to make, it, make people aware of this, we're going to open this up to people that want to come out and have a safe haven. They're calling it Freedom Georgia and draw their inspiration from Wakanda, the fictional comic book country that was the setting for the movie Black Panther. Now, that part of it's a little bit silly. I mean, uh, there could be other historical examples of this other than Wakanda. But unfortunately, this is the cultural climate we live in where superhero comics are now uh, cultural icons. Ashley Scott, a realtor from Stonecrest, Georgia, who was driven to seek therapy by her reaction to the student shooting death of Ahmad Arbery, a young black man jogging in a white neighborhood, said that several sessions after several sessions, she realized that her problem was 400 years of racial oppression and trauma dating back to the establishment of slavery in North America. So she's saying, look, she is facing mental problems, conceptualizing these things, because of all of these issues that have dated all the way back to the first instance of slavery in in North America. So some of this, as I've said before in this podcast, I mean, look, history is on the ballot in 2020. This is what's being taught in schools nowadays. And it is traumatizing people. I mean, it's just like COVID is traumatizing people. There's There is certainly a mental impact from these things. And we're seeing it on a daily basis across America as people are, I think, scared of so many things. And they're scared of these things because 
of social media, because of the media itself, because of history, the way it's being taught. I mean, this is a real problem. So she continues, we're dealing with systemic racism. We are dealing with deep-rooted issues that require more than protesting in the streets. Now, I agree with that. You see, protesting in the streets really does nothing in the long run, though not the way the protesting is going now. But she is taking action with other people to try to handle the problem. And she says, look, this is, in her mind, there is this problem. And so this problem needs to be addressed, not by government. In another piece, she actually said this. It's not government we're looking for here. Government's not going to do it. It doesn't matter, she said, who votes for who. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in office. Because she thinks these things are going to continue no matter what. No matter what, these things are going to continue. And I find that to be a very interesting statement. Uh, I find that to be an interesting statement because somebody, I mean, it's like they've taken the red pill. People on the left take the red pill too and they say, oh my gosh. You know, it doesn't matter if Barack Obama's in office or Joe Biden's in office or Donald Trump's in office or George W. Bush is in office. You know why it doesn't matter? Because none of these people really care. Um, about the real situation. She said in another piece, or this other piece said, black people are resilient. We've had to be able to thrive under systems that weren't built for us. This resiliency has created innovative solutions to impossible problems such as racial injustices, food insecurity, and a lack of secure and safe communities. She said she felt disempowered, so she's going to seek help. This is one of her quotes. It will take for us as a people, as Atlanta rapper and activist Killer Mike so eloquently put, to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. So that's what I and my good friend Renee Walters, an entrepreneur and investor, did. She said, we figured we could try to fix a broken system where we could fresh start fresh. Start a city that could be a shining example of being the change you want to see. We wanted to be more involved in creating the lives we really want for our black families. And maybe, just maybe, create some generational wealth for ourselves by investing in the land, investing in creating a community that is built around our core values and beliefs. The purchase of these sprawling acres comes at a time when black land ownership has shrunk drastically. However, black families have been purchasing large, large acres of land to combat this loss and create a legacy for themselves. So this is part of the Freedom Georgia initiative. There were 19 families, it says here in the AOL piece, who collectively purchased 96.71 acres of rural land in Tomsboro, I'm sorry, Toomsboro, Georgia, a town of a few hundred people in central Georgia, with the intention of developing a self-contained black community. The space will have small homes for vacation use and will host weddings, retreats, and recreational functions. It may eventually evolve into an incorporated self-sustaining community. They want to make this into a city. This is amazing. This is an amazing thing to do, and I think anyone on the left or the right of any race, any religion, can look at this. This is partly the... Uh, 
uh, Benedict option when it was people were talking about moving to an area, but that was to take over existing areas that already had infrastructure. This is to start from the bottom up. This is actually more ambitious and more uh, unstable in a lot of ways. I mean, it takes a lot of initiative and uh, optimism to do something like this. If you move into a town, if you say this is Rust Belt town where you can buy the land for, you know, buy a house for 25000 bucks, whatever it is. And everybody moves there, and you already have the infrastructure. That would be an amazing thing to do. But it's going to take people going there to get that to work. You almost have to organize the entire group before you go. This is why religious communities have been able to do this for years. I mean, think of, you know, for example, the Mormons moving out west to Utah. They were able to do it because they had a large, self-sufficient community that could do that in one block. It's hard to do it if you just got some friends on the internet and say, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to go and move here. Let's pick, uh, you know, this little town in North Dakota or something. Let's pick this little town in South Dakota. Let's pick this little town in, uh, in Ohio where nobody lives anymore. There's these places all over the place. You know, let's, let's pick this little area where nobody lives and we're going to go live there. And we're going to make it better. It's already got infrastructure. It's already got a school. It's already got whatever it is. You just go and live there and you make it your own. This was People were talking about this with New Hampshire libertarians moving into New Hampshire. This is different because this is people buying the land themselves and they've got to develop this land and then sell it out and hope they can do it and not lose money on it. It's much more risky. It's a risky investment. And I, and I applaud them for doing this. They've taken the initiative of think locally, act locally and done something that a lot of people are unwilling to do. It's now time for us to get our friends and family together and build for ourselves, says Walters, who serves as the president of the organization. That's the only way we'll be safe, and that's the only way that this will work. We have to start bringing each other together. An amazing message of people just wanting to have community. I mean, look, humans are naturally inclined toward community, and we want to be around people that we like and that think like we do. We don't really want to be around people that don't. I mean... She actually said on, on one of the uh, articles here that, you know, how do you respond to the Internet trolls, she calls them, who, talk, who call this segregation. She says it's just trolling. We just want to be around people of like-minded people. That's all. I think it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Now, of course, we know in the, in the modern PC world, if any other group maybe had done this, there might have been some pushback. But take any group, and in fact, she was commenting on it the, uh, for the LGBTQ community because they were said, you know, are you, what do you think about that? She said, I think they should start their own communities. <laughs> They're welcome in ours, but I think they should start their own where they feel safe. Do that because it would be a great benefit to them. She said, you, we really just want you to come out and hang out and feel safe. You don't have to worry about the Karens of the world and anything like that. You just come in and have fun. We'll have a sportsman area like a black sportsman's area with fishing, hunting, shooting range, ATV trails. Really just want to build a tight-knit community for our people to just come and breathe. It's amazing how she uses the term Karen. Of course, on this podcast, I told you what that term actually is. It's Yankees. You see, what these people are looking to avoid are Yankees. Yankees. They're looking to avoid Yankees. It's not Karens. It's Yankees. And there's a lot of them in Georgia. Walters acknowledges the challenges ahead, as history hasn't always been kind to black Americans' aspirations to own property. America's first black town dates back to 1738 near what is known as St. Augustine, Florida, 38 fugitive slaves seeking refuge from a town named Gracia Real de Santa Teresa de Mose. 
Historian Jane Landers explained, as news of the foundation of Mose spread throughout the South Carolina plantations, groups of slaves broke loose and tried to make it to Florida, causing for some to call on their first promised land. In response to numerous slave revolts, the English enacted a year-long siege of Florida, finally capturing Fort Mose in 1740. More than a century after the establishment of Fort Mose and two years after the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, in direct response to the Ebenezer Creek Massacre, Union General William T. Sherman attempted to create more black towns with a promise of 40 acres and a mule. Ultimately, Abraham Lincoln's successor, Andrew Johnson, a Democrat considered sympathetic to former slave states, overturned Sherman orders by returning the land to colonizers, inspiring freedom to begin and freedmen to begin buying their own land. By 1910, black Americans owned more than 14 million acres of land, more than ever before in the history of the United States, but due to the Great Migration and the racist policies that accompanied it, 90% of that land was lost by the 21st century. According to ProPublica, the leading cause of black involuntary land loss has been recognized by the U.S. Department of Agriculture as heirs' property. Heirs' property is land that has been inherited without a will, making the owners vulnerable to laws and loopholes that allow speculators and developers to acquire their property. It makes up more than a third of southern black-owned land, 3.5 million acres, worth more than $28 billion. In order to begin reclaiming black-owned land and generational wealth, Scott believes black Americans must create their own social, political, and economic institutions. That's a, I mean, that's an amazing statement. They have to create their own. Now, this is something that uh, people have been talking about in a variety of communities for years. I mean, this is nothing new, but here are these people going out and doing it, which is, again, an amazing thing. Amass land, develop affordable housing for yourself, build your own food systems, build manufacturing, supply chains, build your own homes, school communities, build your own banks and credit unions, build your own cities, build your own police departments, tax yourselves, and vote in a mayor in a city council you can trust, she wrote. Build it from scratch. Then go tell all the money the United States, then go get all the money the United States of America has available for government entities and get them bonds. This is how we build back our new black Wall Streets, we can do this, we can have Wakanda, we just have to build it for ourselves. I mean, this is, again, build it from the ground up, build your own self-sustaining communities. And I think social media lends to this because you can create communities online, people who are interested in these type of things, and you can all join together and have this kind of outlet. But you're going to have to do it. Now, she actually had a workshop that talked about getting involved in cooperative land ownership and how you do it. I mean, she's trying to tell people, not just her own constituents, people that she's trying to get to invest in her Freedom Georgia initiative, but anyone that wants to learn about it, hey, this is how you do it. You create these cooperatives, you create these entities, and you essentially just say to the system, you know what, we're no longer going to be part of you. If, If they could get an incorporation, right, a city, imagine what that would do. Now, the laws are interesting because at some point, you know, she's going to run into the same problems that any community would have. If you have people that want to move into your community that you don't want there. Now, they're saying we're open to everybody. But eventually, I mean, what happens if some people that they didn't like moved into their community? What would happen with that? Uh, that would be, or they have these businesses and, and uh, you know, private entities, but yet... They have to start hiring people, and they're going to have to follow all the federal laws for hiring people. So what do you do there? Because if you start uh, doing things that are not in line with the EEOC, which they would have to follow those guidelines, 
then uh, they could be sued for things. So there's, there's certainly some legal hurdles to all this stuff. But in, in reality, what they're doing is just an amazing thing. I really like this. I, I like the initiative these people took. Again, saw a problem in their mind, had to be confronted. What they did was go and privately create something for all people that they like to use and enjoy and eventually create a self-sustaining community. I mean, she talks about food insecurity. So they're going to have farms. On the page, they have pictures of nice little cottages and um, uh, agriculture. They want people to be growing their food, have their own food, have their own little shops, do everything they can to get people there who, who believe in this stuff and who are going to support each other. It's an amazing idea, and it's all private investment and private initiative. They're not talking about some communist society. This is something that they're going to be trying to make money with and that they want people to have generational wealth. It's about money. It's about security. Not saying the government's going to give me stuff. They did it. They did it. I I think that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing story that needs to be told. And, of course, people need to learn from it. Again, we can quibble about the politics and some of the things she's saying. Uh, That's fine. This is her perspective on things, and, and uh, she's saying, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to uh, secede from society and create our own thing. These are secessionists. These are secessionists. And if they had their own self-sustaining community, I mean, if they had their own police, if they had their own, well, then you just ignore certain laws that you don't like. That's jury nullification. That's, uh, that's the idea of interposition, the law enforcement, the sheriff there would just ignore it, just not enforce laws that they don't want to enforce. I mean, these are things that people have been doing since the colonial period across the United States. It's an amazing idea. And because this is a Think Locally, Act Locally show, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Go out and look for it. Um, it it's, uh, it's quite a story, and I think it's an inspirational story for people who, want, who, who should be thinking about doing the exact same thing. All right. Well, I promised we'd get back on track. It's Monday today, so we'll be back on track with our Monday through Thursday programming schedule this week. I know it's Labor Day, so maybe you're coming back from a Labor Day weekend. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, I'm not wearing my usual button-down shirts. Labor Day for me, too, but I wanted to hop on here and talk about this. So um, hope you had a good weekend. Let's get off the good start this week, and I'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.